You may be seated. Well, I'll take a chance to say welcome to you this morning. First of all, thank you, Trent, for helping out. And uh, that helps out a lot to have our lay ministers helping us out with uh, different elements in the service. And Scott and the team for picking out the songs this morning, great songs. Um, if you haven't uh, already noticed, um, Laura is not here this morning. I know you're pretty sharp people, so you probably figured that out by now. Uh, she's on vacation today. Uh, family's out getting that last, you know, week of vacation in before school starts here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and so, um, so that's where she is. And so someone commented, you notice I was wearing flops today. I don't know if you can see down here, but I'm wearing flops. And they're like, wow, you're wearing flops. You're all right. You know, like, where's the shorts? And I'm like, oh, you don't want to see my legs. You know, you don't, I don't want to scare the children. So uh, this is about as casual as I'll get. I'll get the flops on. Triple digits, you know, so we can get the flops out. But uh, so um, our scripture for today is Exodus 18, 13 through 27. It reads, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God, When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the cases between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Anoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you'll be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his instructions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller one matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law and returned to his own land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it was 1994, roughly in the spring and March of 1994. I had been in ministry for two years. I'd gone through an undergraduate program, and I was your prototypical associate pastor at a church um, that where I was the youth pastor. I was also, because I could play guitar and sing a little, they put me in charge of the worship, and then also anything else a senior pastor didn't want to do. So uh, that was kind of where I was at, and there came a job opening in a church down the road. And so the the group I was in at the time, affiliated with, uh, it's different than our church where we appoint pastors to churches. It's one where you went and you interviewed, just like a regular job. And so I put my name in that I was interested, a resume in, that I was interested in maybe becoming the associate pastor at this new church. 
and, bef- and I got accepted in the first round, but the pastor called me and was really interested and wanted to talk to me, and so he said, hey, why don't you come up, Greg, and we'll talk, and, and we'll have a more informal interview before the actual interview. So that sounds good, and we set a time and a date and got directions, because this is before GPS and Google, so I had to find out where the church was and all that, found the directions, and when the day came for that uh, informal interview, I drove up and drove in the parking lot, and there was just a few cars in the parking lot, and it's kind of shared a common parking lot with the, the city hall next door. And uh, I didn't see anybody around, though, except this back in the back 40, there was a guy on a tractor mowing the backfield. I thought, okay, so there's there, that's the only guy around. But I went inside to look for the senior pastor, looked around, couldn't find anybody, and went to the receptionist's desk, there was no one there. And finally, I found the pastor's study, went back there, and knocked on the door real loud, and no one answered. And Walked downstairs all the way through all the classrooms, walked around. The building was open and but empty and went back to the pastor's study one more time, pounded, nothing, waited around for a few minutes. And then I decided, well, I'm just going to wait in my car. So as I was walking out the front door, the gentleman on the tractor, the tractor dude, met me at the door. And I was like, oh. And he said, he held out his hand and said, you must be Greg. I'm the senior pastor. I said, oh, wow, Okay. I wasn't expecting that. You know, we're kind of in an affluent suburb of Portland, Oregon, where we lived at the time. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. And, uh, but hey, I am all over that. I'm an Okie. I'm down with tractor and overalls. I, I got that, you know. I like this common man, you know, of the people kind of thing. And so we had a little interview, and I went through the process to make a long story short. I took the job, and we moved up there and became another associate where I was doing youth, music, whatever else the senior pastor didn't want to do. And but I learned right away that not only did this senior pastor mow the back 40, but he also was in charge. He did all the pastoral care calls, all care, all visitation. He was involved in every decision in the church. He was involved in every ministry of the church. He organized the potlucks. He helped basically organized the worship. He did everything in the church. He was there at every event when the doors were unlocked. And six months later, I found myself helping fill the pulpit along with the district superintendent, because that pastor resigned because he was burnt out. Who would have thought that Exodus 18, a story from thousands of years ago, would be very similar to one from just 20 years ago? Because you see, Moses was probably going to be on a road for burnout, wasn't he? And his father-in-law recognized this fact. Let's back up a second and give a little backstory on, the, on this uh, story. So before the verses we read, uh, Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, first of all, Jethro, I don't that just doesn't make wise old man to me. That's more, you know, Beverly Hillbillies, you know? <laughs> yeah, admit it. You watched it. Come on, you watched it. And, uh, and so Jethro, the father-in-law, comes for a visit with Moses' wife, and two sons, right? And so, uh, come on, maybe you're a father-in-law now, or you've had the father-in-law drop in on you, you know, come for a visit. What are they doing? They're trying to check you out, right? Especially when you're young. You know, that happened with me. But I, I'm blessed with a great father-in-law, which we need to get the podcast to do your dad on this. I am blessed. I really am with a great father-in-law. We have a great relationship. But there was that time when he came and checked me out, you know. He came to visit, and he was always looking over my shoulder the way I did things. You know, come on, you've been there. Most of you guys have been there. And so the father-in-law has come to check things out, and they have a big ceremonial feast. 
And then the next day is when the story picks up the scripture we read, is where Moses is going to his daily duties, which at that time was selling all the disputes for all, the whole nation of Israel. Can you imagine? He spent all day long just sitting there handling every single dispute that came up. And very wisely, his father-in-law said that you just, you just can't keep this up. This isn't smart. You need to divide up the rulings. You need to make it more ground level, and you manage the more major disputes. So he takes his father-in-law's advice, and he's managing all these disputes, and he breaks them in groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. So basically, the smaller disputes can be taken care of. He was headed towards burnout. Now, and by the way, just one little side note. This is just a little side note. Verse 27 said that he said goodbye. After he was done, he said goodbye to his father-in-law, and he left. It was like, well, that's really short. Did anybody notice that whenever I read that? It was like, okay, I'm done with you. Goodbye now. Anyway, you go. Anyway. So anyway. So anyway, for those of you who are in leadership, you know this trap, don't you? What's the trap? If you don't delegate, what happens? You get burnout. Because what? Who's doing all the work? You are doing all the work. And what happens? You become the bottleneck, actually, for everything that's happening, and things slow down. But the problem is was with the burnout. Now, for us pastors, we're, we're bad about this. We're real bad about taking on ministry. And that pastor I referred to earlier, I don't blame him in one sense, in that training for years as pastors was you were there to do everything. And, you know, if someone called, you were there. If there was a meeting, you were supposed to be there. If the church was open, you were supposed to be there. But the problem is it just leads to more and more burnout. This message goes for all of us in anything we do, doesn't it? For any of us in any of our jobs? You know, I was describing for someone the other day the ministry, uh, and I related to being uh, in real estate, being a realtor, in the sense of the, the hours and stuff, you know? And like, we got a few here, and you know what I'm talking about. You got to work some Sundays, right? You know, and, and basically it's whenever the clients are available. And we try to have our own Sabbath as pastors, but there's a sense of that. But I was actually thinking about it more, and it, everybody's job is getting like that now, isn't it? How many times have you been on Saturday night after the kids have gone to bed and you get on the computer, you got to get some work done, right? So, okay, so this message is for all of us in that sense that we got to watch the burnout. Today, I'm going to focus on pastors and our roles as congregants. And I don't want this to be a gripe session. I just want you to let you know the pastor side of the story on this. So as pastors, we're trained to be there to preach and teach and be the caregivers for everyone. You know, there's almost like this super pastor mentality for years and years. When my church, little church I grew up in, this is the mentality. You know, the pastor is the one that visited the sick. The pastor is the one that went to the hospital, the one who went to the prison, reached the unchurched. It was the one that could relate to the older adults and the kids, the one that would do a dozen visits a day and leap small buildings with a single bound, yet never left the office because they were always there at the office for you, right? That's kind of the vision we have. And unfortunately, that's not sustainable. That's not even doable. Here's a sad statistic that I came across. There's a group called the Barna Group that does statistics for churches. And a statistic they found out just a few years ago, that 50% of all ministers who start out in ministry will quit in the first five years. And that one in 10, one in 10 
who start out in ministry will retire in ministry. In other words, nine out of ten will not make it to retirement in the ministry. It's a hard gig. It is. And I don't have to tell you all that. Many of you know that in the sense of you, you know the hours I've put in and many hours you guys put in in doing ministry. My goal here today is not gripe about my job I have, even though I thought, you know, this is kind of convenient. Laura's gone. I can gripe a little bit, but, uh, but I'm not going to because I know she's going to listen to the podcast, so I'm just kidding, Laura. Um, it's to tell you this. It shouldn't have to be that way because it's not biblical. It's not biblical for the pastor to do all the ministry. And I know today I'm preaching a little bit to the choir because we're blessed here because the pastor who helped found this church set it up that we all do, we're all in this together, right? Pastor David did a great job of making that very clear from day one of this church, and that's part of the DNA of our church. But I think it's a good reminder for us all every once in a while to realize we're part of the body of Christ and we're all in this together. Well, what's the biblical model? Well, we saw the negative potential with the Moses that he kept away from. We find our answer as the church in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says there are gifts, and this is 11 through 16. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. They gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. According to this passage, in the verse 12, the responsibility to equip God's people to do the work is what pastors are assigned to do. That's the role of the leaders of the church. But the, the other part of that we see is in Ephesians 16, 4, 16. It says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and will grow full of love. The whole body fits together perfectly, and we each do our special work to help the others grow. So there's there's not just the pastors to help equip to do the ministry, but we all bring our gifts together. And when we do that, we grow together. That's the crucial part for us. So what's this mean? Well, this means that people like Trent, who has the gift of many things, hospitality, leadership, teaching, the ability just to hang with teenagers, that's a gift in itself right there. And uh, I get to see him on the mission trip do that, and he's extraordinaire at relating with kids uh, on their level, and uh, he's, he's able to just to hang with them, which I, I really admire. But he brings his gifts to the table, and I can go all around the room to everyone's gifts they bring here, that from all, I can just call out people from like Doug and Dave who are back there in the sound booth who bring their gifts of organization and of their electronic wizardry to bring all this together and keep us going. To Mike, who helps and serve on so many different committees and brings his knowledge and wisdom to all different committees. And I can go around and around. But when we bring it all together, that's when the kingdom of God is brought forth. And I think of it this way. I think of it a lot like a orchestra 
or a uh, concert band. I, I was a band geek growing up, um, and which is now weird because I got choir people in my family, and, and you know they were like the arch enemies, the choir against the band people. Anyway, um, but uh, so I was growing up, you know, I played percussion. Well, my mom tried to trick me into playing trumpet when I was a kid. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. But uh, anyway, so I played in marching band and concert band coming up. And so I know a little bit about it, but many of you have gone to see a world-class orchestra and the beauty that happens when everybody's in unison together. And that's a lot like the body of Christ. But what happens for that orchestra before the concert? There's a lot that goes into it, right? The, the musicians have to practice their instruments. They, they have to practice and know the work they're going to be performing. The conductor has to give instructions on what to do and where to go, whether it's going to be a soft or triple forte, loud, or, or where the crescendo goes. So that, that one moment, that one moment when the conductor raises the baton and it's time to perform the piece, everybody's in unison together, everybody knows what they need to do, and the work can begin. And that's a picture of what it is for us as a church. We individually do our own spiritual work separately, we come together, we come together with instructions of where we're supposed to go, and when it's time to go, we go and create just this harmonious, beautiful thing, work of God. We value members getting involved here at our church, and uh, I'm not going to do a big uh, plea at the end with pass out cards for ministries. My prayer is that you will go away from today and just think about what your involvement can be in the church. But someone after the first service reminded me that just this service today is a picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. We had Trent helping out with different elements of the service today, Scott and the team all helping out, all of us playing our part today, even though Laura is not here today. We all shifted around and the body of Christ still happens. That's what it's about. But here's the thing. It takes all of us. No matter what you feel like your gifts and abilities are, there's a place for you in the body of Christ. We need you. Can I be honest? We need everyone to play their part because with, when you're not there, there's a hole. There's something missing in the orchestra. And that section is not coming to the top, and we're not at our full potential. I think God's got big plans for this church, it has in the past, and is continuing on. Uh, I really, really mean that. I've been at five different churches, and one thing I've learned about church growth, uh, I've been to a lot of church growth seminars. One thing I think I figured out is that, you know, when God wants the church to grow, he kind of puts his finger behind it and pushes it along. I know that goes against our sensibilities in our little, you know, North American world where we can figure it out with a seminar or whatever. But when God wants it to go, it goes. I don't know if you figured it out yet, but God wants His church to go. I mean, just look around. And I'm talking more, more than just the buildings and the, and the land and all that stuff. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. But I'm talking more about the people He's brought to this church, the ministries that have occurred over the years already, with the potential even for the future for more. Stop and think about it. Isn't it amazing to think about but to do all that requires all of us. Laura can't do it on her own. 
I can't do it on our own. Our admin council can't do it on their own. It requires all of us. And I, I prayer, my prayer is this, is that us as leaders in the church, from all the lay leadership, Laura and I, that we will be as wise as Moses and that we will equip you for ministry. But my prayer for you is, how are you using your gifts to build up this body of believers here in Spicewood? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have every Sunday to come here. We don't take that lightly because we know even right now there's people around the world that don't have this privilege to gather together as believers. So we don't take that lightly. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would come and guide and direct our lives, examine our hearts now. My prayer is for those who may be on the edge and maybe want to get more involved, but they're just holding back because they feel they don't have a place. My prayer is that you would uh, reveal to them a place for them here at the church in a ministry, in a Bible study, in a small group, somewhere where they can become more involved. We thank you for what you're doing through our church. We thank you for the privilege and honor of being here, attending and serving. We pray you continue to give us wisdom, give the leadership wisdom, guide and direct all our ministries, dear God, so we can serve others around in our neighborhood. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.